Well, we are in a series right now in pursuit. Uh, it's all uh, looking at the Paul's letter, the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, a church that he founded, and he's writing to encourage the Christians there. He's most likely in prison in uh, Rome at this time, uncertain of his future. And these words written 2,000 years ago are so relevant for us today. The title of the message this weekend is Follow Me, Follow Me. And I'm going to read uh, from Philippians chapter 3, verse 17 onwards. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many who can, whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction, their God is their appetite, they brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. Uh, what I'm about to share with you happened many years ago, but I still uh, flush crimson with embarrassment when I, when I think about it. Uh, we were living in Oregon at the time, uh, kids were still growing up and living as part of the family home, and uh, we went out uh, with another family horse riding. There were eight of us, and uh, I've got to tell you, I was sort of nervous about it. I love animals. I love horses, but they do not come with a steering wheel or a brake, and so I was feeling just a little um, concerned. And during that ride, um, our daughter Kelly um, she was thrown from the horse, and uh, it, was, it was pretty traumatic. Now, there are two versions of this story. Uh, the first version isn't true, but it's what I would like to have happened when that took place that day. And then the second version is, is true. So, how many would like to, to hear both versions? Just raise your, I mean, I don't care, but I'm going to just, I'm, I'm going to share, just kidding. Well, uh, here's the first version. I'm riding along, um, I'm riding along on my horse, quietly praying and uh, with a pocket New Testament propped between the horse's ears, so I could be most efficient with the time. Our family just riding along there, singing Kumbaya together. And suddenly, I felt a strange shift in the spiritual atmosphere. I felt that danger was afoot. And this was confirmed because someone yelled, one of the kids has been thrown. So I, I nudged my horse, which immediately, of course, responded, for I have authority over all creation. And I rode up to where my daughter was lying on the floor, screaming at the top of her voice and covered in blood. I slid off my horse in one smooth athletic move and knelt down beside her. My son was kneeling beside her. He was screaming at the top of his voice and I said, why are you screaming? He said, I just love her. I just love her. I said, that's interesting. Yesterday you wanted to kill her. And, <laughs> and uh, I looked at my daughter and I, uh, and I, I said, um, darling, are you hurt? <laughs> and she looked up and she said, yes, daddy, I'm very hurt, but I'm praising the Lord as you've always taught me to do. <laughs> amen and amen, I said. 
Let us pray. Didn't happen. All right, here's what happened. I'm riding along on my horse. I am not praying. I am not singing. I am having temporary atheism. Uh, I am clinging to the horse tight. I am gripping its ears so tight, its eyes are wild and bloodshot. It is awkward. There is no spiritual atmosphere except that the horse in front of me has got gas. And... Someone said, one of the kids has been thrown. I kicked my horse, which just reluctantly responded and rode up to where she is lying on the floor, screaming at the top of her voice and covered in blood. I fell off my horse, got down beside my daughter. My son says, he's screaming. I said, why are you screaming? He said, I just love her. I just love her. I said, how come you wanted to kill her yesterday? That part was true. And I looked down at my daughter, and I thought she'd broken her neck, and I'm a daddy, and I'm traumatized. And Now, listen, I'm not, I'm not proud of what I'm about to tell you. In fact, I don't want to tell you this, because I, I really want you to think I'm better than I am. But um, I, I, I panicked, and I, I leaned back, and I, and I said, oh, and I yelled a word that pastors don't normally use. I mean, we got fill in the blank. We could have done fill in the blank with that this morning. <laughs> it's so funny. I'm looking at you, and I can see it. You know, you're all going, wonder which one. <laughs> you mind your own business, right? But I, I yelled this word, and again, don't write in. I'm not proud of it. Um, but my, my daughter stopped screaming. She looked up at me. She said, Daddy! Daddy! I said, what? She said, I can't believe you just used that word. She said, you're a Christian leader. You should be ashamed of yourself. And I said, honey, you're right. I'm sorry. She said, well, don't do it again. Ah! <laughs> you see, in that moment, I was not being an example. And this passage of Scripture, Paul is pointing to himself uh, as an example. And the, the challenge here, follow me, is that we are, to all of us, live exemplary lives. We are to be people who can be followed. Now, that, this idea of following, it's, it's very familiar language in our culture. People say, how many followers have you got on, on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or, or, or whatever? I was reading about that this week. Why, why do people, what's in this following thing? Why do people do that? And I've learned that we don't really know what we do know is that people don't follow information or just blogs. They want to follow people. They want to follow people. And 2,000 years before Facebook, Paul is saying, hey, live a life that others can follow. He writes to Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, and he says, set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 3, we offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. Then 1 Corinthians 4, he says, therefore I urge you to imitate me. Uh, I preached this last night. Um, this is my third time preaching this, and you, if you didn't know. And my wife Kay was here last night, and we, after the service, I always say, how do you think it went, you know, and she tells me. And uh, she said, well, actually, I've got a little list of things. And I, and I, I, this is true. And I, I said, honey, that's, that's so good. 
and she said, did, she said, did you know that when you read that verse, therefore I urge you to imitate me? She said, you actually said, therefore I urge you to irritate me. <laughs> I said, oh, thanks for that. I don't want to discuss it further. It's in the hands of my attorney now. We are called to live exemplary lives because we make an impact positively or negatively. Did you know, whether you're lacking or not, you and I are making uh, an impact? J.R. Miller says there have been meetings of only a moment which have left impressions for life, for eternity. No one can understand this mysterious thing we call influence, yet every one of us continually exerts influence, either to heal, to bless, to leave marks of beauty or to wound, to hurt, to poison, to stain other lives. A word that the Apostle Paul likes to use in his writing is the Greek word tupos, which means to stamp an impression in wax, uh, and it, it makes its mark, it makes um, its impression, tupos. And this is not just about morality. We're not just called to be examples in in good living, if you like, but, but also, for example, in faith. In faith, the way that we respond in faith. Uh, years ago, um, we as a family were praying for my wife's brother, Christopher. Uh, Christopher um, went to Cambridge University as a sworn atheist and an angry atheist. And my kids would tell him about Jesus and he would mock their faith. Um, he would rip pages out of the Bible, and he was the last person you would expect to become a Christian. And he went to Cambridge to do a master's in math, and we got a phone call from him one day, and he got on the phone to Kay, and he said, I've got, I've got an announcement to make. And she, she said, okay. And he said, I, I, I've become a Christian. I've, I've become a follower of Jesus. And this weekend, actually today, back in England, Christopher's son, Jonas, uh, is um, being baptized in water, and he's at university, and he's thinking about going into full-time Christian leadership and ministry. There's been this, this crazy turnaround. And when Christopher became a Christian, back then, years ago, I, I got off the phone. I spoke to him, and I got off the phone, and I said to our kids, I said, you, I said kids, you're, you're never going to believe this. But, but Christopher's become a Christian. And, and Kelly said, yeah. She said, well, we've been praying for him, haven't we? She said, you were expecting that to happen, Dad, weren't you? And I'm, uh, absolutely I was. <laughs> we are called to be an example. Now, let's, let's just stop for a moment and consider an awkward question, because Paul is saying, follow me. Now, that's a bit arrogant, isn't it? Is it? There seems to be a lack of humility there. Well, I would suggest not. He is not saying that he's perfect, that he's arrived. Philippians 3, verse 12, uh, he says in this same letter, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. He's making that clear. Not only that, he makes it clear, this is important, that he's only worthy as an example to other followers of Jesus as he himself continues to follow Jesus. There's a qualifying statement there. So he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ, 1 Corinthians 11. But he is saying, follow me. So what about us? I mean, how can we live lives 
of example. And some of you, I've been preaching for a while now, and I can see it in your eyes. You're, you're thinking, this is all good, but when are you going to get to the first point? Now, right now, number one, can you pray for me, by the way? Just, I don't know, I need to stop, because I'm noticing this about myself this weekend. A, a bit of sleep deprivation is causing me to have moments of complete madness. And it's risky, frankly. And I like working here. <laughs> I, I do. So. First of all, check what we're worshipping. Check what we're worshipping. Uh, Paul talks about a group of people who've infiltrated most likely the church in Philippi. He says, their God is their appetite. Look at this. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. He's exposing people. He describes them as enemies of the cross. This is pretty serious stuff. Now, who were these people? There are two theories about this. There is a theory that these false teachers were teaching something called legalism. What's legalism? It's where you obey all kind of human regulations in order to be saved, like um, some of the Jewish traditions and the food laws. Their God is their stomach. And this would undermine the work of the cross because it's pointing people to a works-based salvation. Now, that's one theory. Frankly, I don't think it's the right one, but I need to be faithful and tell you what the thinking is. There is another theory which is more likely, and that is that the enemies of the cross were teachers who were teaching licentiousness. What is that? What is licentiousness? It's where you live with a, a license to just sin your brains out. You don't care, and you think that it doesn't matter, and therefore, with your lifestyle, you become an enemy of the cross because your behavior contradicts your belief. Let me put that another way. I call this the downhill slide. This is another way of looking at what Paul says. I'll have whatever I want. I'm not ashamed of my sin. In fact, I'm proud of it. And I'm just living for myself and for today. Uh, just to be clear, I'm not preaching those three points. Don't go away and say, the sermon was really interesting this weekend. Um, no, this is the false teaching that Paul was exposing. He is saying there are enemies of the cross who are worshipping themselves. C.S. Lewis says, or said, all that we call human history, money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, slavery, is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. It all goes back to that. So here's a question. What, what, what are we worshipping? Do we worship ourselves, our own appetites? Just do it. And, and let's think about this. What's our priority in life? Is it money? What are we willing to sacrifice for? What do we give our time to? What controls us? What are we worshipping? Secondly, we need to get some healthy heroes. We need to get some healthy heroes. Paul says, he's pointing to himself and then he says, learn from those who follow our example. He's saying, look around and have a look at the lives of those who are faithfully following Jesus and be inspired by them. Now, I've used this idea of heroes. 
But it doesn't need to be that people are doing endlessly heroic things. They're just living well and they are an example to us. Forgive me talking about my family, but my daughter Kelly is a, an example to me. I've learned so much from her. She's so disciplined. She ran the London Marathon last year. She trained for three months. and I, She had a chart on the wall. And, and I run, but I hate it. I hate it. And I've tried to like it. And I hate it. And I get out there, and, I, and I'm so excited, you know. I run for 500 yards, and my brain says, this is ridiculous. Just lie down on the ground and order a pizza, buddy. You know, that's, that's the way forward. I'm inspired. This is not just about people who are older than us. I'm inspired by her discipline. I'll give you another example. I don't know whether he's here today, but my, my friend Larry, he cuts my hair. Now, I admire him for working with the shrinking peninsula that sits on the top of my head and trying to make something of it. But why do I go to Larry? I mean, it's an hour round trip to drive to his salon, right? I'll tell you why I go to Larry. And I, I don't have his permission to talk about him, but sometimes forgiveness is easier. Because <laughs> every time I sit down in Larry's chair, he tells me stories about his love for downtown and the people there and his ministry to people. And he gives me updates and answers to prayer. And I... I got out of the chair two days ago with a haircut and a warmed heart. Kind of a hero. You'd hate me saying that. This family, some of you are familiar with this family whose photograph I'd like to show you. This is the Herman family. That's uh, Justin and Diane. She's holding Max. That's Slate to the left and lovely Izzy to the right. Some years ago, Diane lost her first husband to a strain of cancer. And uh, then she discovered that her daughter, Hope, had the same strain. And I remember the night here when she was baptized and she sang and she passed away. So Diane lost her husband and then her daughter. And then just last weekend, Izzy, Izzy, 19 years old, with the same strain, after a courageous battle, passed away. Her memorial service packed with people who were impacted by her beautiful young life. And Slate, that young man, he's doing well, but he's battling leukemia. And you go, how much can a family take? But I've got to tell you something. Kay and I spent an hour and a half with that family 10 days ago. It's one of the most beautiful times of laughter and tears and courage and faith and tenacity. I want to consider their example. And they don't want to be heroes. They're certainly reluctant heroes. They wouldn't choose any of this. And I'll tell you, we're in a mixed-up world where there are people who are famous for being famous. Let's, let's learn from others around us and be inspired. Get some healthy heroes. Who are they in your life? Thirdly, let's look up and forward. Let's look up and forward. 
Here's what Paul says. We are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we're eagerly awaiting for him to return as our saviour. He'll take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Jesus is coming again. Now, I've talked about this before. I think we've lost that truth because we used to go on about it so much. When I became a Christian, we were expectant and mildly terrified that Jesus was going to return any moment. I've talked about this, you know, I'd go, to, I'd go to the grocery store with Kay and we'd get separated and uh, five or ten minutes I was fine, 15 minutes I'd start to get concerned. She's disappeared. 20 minutes I'm like, Jesus has come back. <laughs> and I've been left behind. And there was all kinds of silliness that went around and people predicting the date of Jesus' coming, which is never going to work. Anyone ever says that? Don't even, don't even think about it. Just reject it on biblical basis. But I wondered whether we've lost the glorious truth of his second coming because of some of the madness. This is not it, everybody. And I'm asking myself the question because the way Paul is describing this it's like the second coming of Jesus is energizing his life. It's shifting his perspective. This is not it. He's sitting in a Roman cell, which is ultimately death row. But his perspective is altered by the truth of the second coming. And I'm saying to God, you know, people say, live in the light of eternity. And I'm like, yeah, right. How do you do that? I'm asking God to show me, how about you do the same? Look up and forward. Number four, strengthen healthy friendships. Strengthen healthy friendships. Look at how warmly the Apostle Paul talks to these people. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, I love you and long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive from my work. The Apostle Paul was so tender-hearted. He even writes about the enemies of the cross with tears in his eyes. He says, I speak Weeping, literally in the Greek. And he cared deeply and he celebrated friendship in verses that often we scan over because they don't seem very interesting. Like this one, 1 Corinthians 16. He says, I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus arrived because they've supplied what was lacking from you. They refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. All these words to Philemon, your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Paul is saying friendship is vital if we're going to live exemplary lives. And when we don't have relationships, we starve. Nelson Mandela, a captive for many years, he talks about solitary confinement and the deprivation of it. He said, I did not see the face or hear the voice of another prisoner. I was locked up for 23 hours a day. There was no natural light in my cell. I had nothing to read, nothing to write on, no one to talk to. I have known men who have taken half a dozen lashes in preference to being locked up alone. After a time, I relished the company even of insects in my cell and found myself on the verge of initiating conversations with a cockroach. Nothing is more dehumanizing than the absence of human companionship. He's saying, I need friends. But I want to say more than we need friends. 
I think we need friendships of depth and substance and vulnerability, and that takes time and investment. Um, I love... Um, I love preaching in, in different places. Last weekend, I was in Flint, Michigan, a town that's, a city that's been devastated, the water problems, and I met the sheriff there, who's a fabulous Christian, who's passionate about loving his city. And, and I, I love to get traveling, and, and uh, I like going down south, um, uh, you know, Oklahoma, and... Uh, I mean, they, they eat grits, which is weird, but how many people eat grits? Oh, my gosh. Come forward right now. Uh, and, but what I'm about to say is not a statement about the South. It's just a statement about relationships. I was in Oklahoma uh, with a, uh, at a church, and I said to the pastor, I said, everyone's so friendly here. Everyone's so friendly. Total strangers walk up to you and say, hi, they're all so friendly and uh, he said, yeah, he said, but you know, he, he said, it can be a bit superficial. And he said, he said, we're a people, we always say, y'all come back now, but we don't give you our address. <laughs> I'm talking about, I'm not talking about close encounters of a timberline kind on a Sunday morning. Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. God bless you. Yeah, good to see you too. See you later. Bye. I'm talking about considering who our inner circle is. Who's, who's our Peter, James, and John? Peter had, Jesus had those three as his inner circle. The others were sometimes excluded. He knew who to call upon. Without sounding like a movie from the 80s, when you're in trouble, who are you going to call? Don't wait till the emergency. Paul has invested in his friendships. Now he's in trouble and he celebrates them. Well, the last thing is this, and that is let's plant our feet on solid ground. Plant our feet on solid ground. The NIV translation of this verse is stand firm in the Lord in this way. Stand, he's saying. And as you stand, you'll be an example. Now, I've been thinking this week, as I begin to wrap this up, I, I, I've been thinking... How can we stand right now, in, at this moment in, in history? Uh, now, I'm going to go out on the edge a little bit here, so just come with me. Like with the coronavirus, the virus, okay? Now, there are obviously some real problems here, and you heard us say earlier, you heard Pastor Donnie say, don't shake hands. We are wanting people to take sensible precautions, uh, we are wanting people to wash their hands. Uh, people say sing happy birthday twice. I've got a better suggestion. Say the Lord's Prayer once. Hot water. We want, we want, we want people to take this seriously. Um, but I want to say this. It's not for me to speak to the health issues. Lara McCounty issued a statement this week, the health department, to say, there is a greater challenge from regular flu right now in this community than from this virus. Uh, it's not for me to speak to the health issues. Yesterday, I had some time with a friend who is a senior surgeon at Johns Hopkins Hospital on the East Coast. I said, what do you think about this? He said, well, there's a challenge. He said, but the hysteria is like out of control. 
It's not for me to speak to the, the clinical issues, but it is for me as a pastor, as a shepherd of this, a shepherd of this flock, to speak into this situation and say, whatever the challenge is, I know this, we are not called to live in terror and fear. We are not. There is a different way. And, and, and do not say, you're, you're minimalizing the problem. Hey, the early church faced plagues in the first century. And guess what they did? This freaks me out. They treated the spread of those plagues as an evangelistic opportunity. And they showed by their faith and by their compassionate care, not just for their own, but for outsiders, they showed that they were different. I don't want to join in with the terror. We're terrified. Yeah, me too. And there's the panic buying. And you can, you can get hand sanitizer on Amazon. It's $1.50, but it just went up to 85 bucks. And people are buying lots of toilet roll. I'm, I'm confused about that. I thought the problem was with the nose. Did I just say that? And listen to me, I, I, I'm not, if, if you're getting supplies in, I'm, I'm not mocking that. I am just saying, please hear me as a pastor. Let's get out of the hysteria and the terror and demonstrate something different. Let's care for people. Okay, I've gone out on the edge. Let's go out a little further. All right. It's election year. Hello. I can see some of you that you're looking at me like, don't go there, Lucas. Some, I can see it in your eyes. You're going, you've only just applied for citizenship. This could end badly. <laughs> All right, come on, let's go there. Listen up. In this political environment in which we find ourselves, not only in America, but across the world, especially in the UK with the Brexit stuff, we are living in a culture right now where people don't dialogue. The right hates the left. The left hates the right. The vitriol and the language is appalling. We don't discuss things. We yell at each other. We caricature each other. You say, are you talking to one section? I'm talking to every spectrum. Every spectrum. You're saying, you're saying, you preachers are not supposed to get political. Oh, you better believe we should. Not party political. Not party political, but political. We need to speak courageously to the moral heart of the nations. And I want to say, can let's calm down a bit. Just take a breath. Let's talk among yourselves. I want to say, can we model something different and disagree beautifully and listen to each other and stop lobbing verbal stun grenades over the parapet and then ducking. And I, I go on Facebook to check out what my friends are having for breakfast and what I see is Christians who think that they're Christians but only until it comes to politics. And then they join in with the same level of vitriol. And I, I think we can do better. After, just between me and you, 
after the first service this morning, a couple came up to me from Timberline and they said, oh, pray for us. We've got a vacancy in our company. And I said, um, after this morning's message, could, could, I, could I get an application? Do you, can we stand as examples marching to a different drumbeat God help us let's pray I say Lord help us and I say it thoughtfully for we need your help to live exemplary lives. We know our own fragility. We know our own tendency to get things confused and we end up prioritizing other things in replacement of you. Show us where we're worshiping in the wrong direction with our lifestyles. May our lives, our priorities, reflect our desire to put you first as Lord. We thank you for those around us who live heroically, beautifully. Help us to take note of their walk with you. And not just admire it, but be energized and inspired and instructed by it. Help us to figure out what it means to live in the light of the coming again of Christ. We pray for our friendships. And I want to invite you just to pause right now as I'm praying and if you don't have close friends, maybe to ask God to help you in that. And if you do, why not begin to just bring them to mind right now? Ask God to bless them. Ask God to help you be a blessing to them and they to you. Help Ask the Lord to help show us how we can invest to a greater depth. Who's our inner circle? And finally, Father, we, we pray in this time of fear. We pray for those leaders, leaders in the medical field, carers, who are scrambling to respond to this crisis. We ask you to direct them and lead them. We ask you to intervene. We pray for those who are suffering from this, that you would draw close to them. And we pray for ourselves that you will help us while taking all of the right advice and sensible precautions. Would you help us to not have hearts that live in terror and fear, but rather in trust? Would you help us when we disagree politically or about whatever to model a way of disagreement that breaks step with the angry rhetoric the fist shaking that goes on right across the political divide in every part of it. So Lord, we would like to live lives that point others to you. We whisper our prayers. We give you thanks that you hear them in Jesus' name. Everyone said,